You guys did awesome. What a what a great time to be alive, right? So much better than being dead. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> of course, I wouldn't know. Maybe maybe it's good to be on the other side. Someday we're all going there. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? And uh, we're just—it was—it was so um, so exciting being with Jesus culture. I remember many years ago. I think it was probably—I came here 13 years ago, and I remember Benny coming into my office and telling me I had this vision that I was gonna—that we were gonna fill stadiums. That I'm called to fill stadiums with young people. And setting them on fire for God. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Right now, just youth group. <laughs> and so a bunch of us staff just went to support and this, you know, the very first time because we, you know what happens? It's like when Roger Bannister broke the, the uh, four minute mile. And then, you know, it was just, a, I think John Landy broke the four minute mile after him. After all these, you know, generations, centuries of nobody ever breaking the four minute mile. Roger Bannister breaks the four-minute mile, and I think it was three and a half months later that John Landy breaks his record. And I feel like with this um, Jesus culture, I feel like that not only did they fill stadiums, but they broke through another dimension, and and it's 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 another dimension into the into the spirit. And when and we're just going to begin to believe for nations and multitudes in a, in a, in a way, I, I hesitate because we already believe for nations and multitudes, but something happened at Jesus culture that wasn't just about Jesus culture. It's hard to explain. I'm trying to put it into words, but it was a breakthrough, not just for Jesus culture. It was a breakthrough for all of us. And I see that God's moving our, us into a, a people movement all over the planet that's going to be... Um, it, it, it's just going to be multidimensional, but... I don't know, I just feel like Banning broke through the four-minute mile for us. And uh, just trying to put that to words, and I, I don't think it was by chance that that uh, Reinhardt was the keynote speaker, and he showed us. I, I mean, I loved his speaking; it was amazing. Then we had a few of us had breakfast with him, and and a few of us got. Our, our, he laid hands on a few of us, and that was good too. I don't know what part I got right there, but. I was like, whatever, I'm getting something here. And, uh, but then, you know, it was all amazing. He was just amazing. Um, but then, you know, he showed some of the clips that you saw there, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And it just kept stretching. Like, we're in this place, we're in this place, this first time that we as a family have ever filled a stadium. And then we're in this place where when we fill the stadium, we have somebody with us that has filled like the that place that you saw where 1.6 million people came to the Lord in one service, 3.4 million altogether. For the they drained a swamp to have a place large enough. You, that was a drained swamp right there. Remember that? Drained a swamp, and so we're we're here and we're like, oh, we're doing something awesome. And then someone comes in there like, oh, this is awesome. We're like, yeah, this is a home group, and it just stretches your vision. <laughs> It stretched, it stretched us, and I'm saying us, I mean, most of the work was on, honestly, on Banning and, and Jerry and the team, but, I mean, it stretched us to be there. It was a huge, you could imagine, a huge financial stretch to be there. And, and then we get there, and we have somebody show us a video of me, reaching millions. 
I, I don't know. I just felt, I'm like, whoa, we thought we did something. <laughs> Guess we didn't. <laughs> and it was, it was amazing. One other thing that it's, it's hard to catch on the video with, um, and, and I don't know if I could put it to words, but the, the part of the video that you watched with the worship, that was spontaneous, as Bill was sharing with you. But what was really, was really interesting and what I got, I was intrigued about is that the worship would change, like they would start chanting something. And you didn't know where it started. Like, it was like everybody spontaneously started chanting one thing. Then it would sing something different, but you could it wasn't like this group started singing it and then it caught on. It was like, and I'm like, wow, this is how the Holy Spirit moves on the earth. Like, it's hard to tell where it started. It's just like, whoof. It was amazing. And I started watching this dynamic, you know, because I've been to football games and stuff where someone starts chanting, you know, something. And, and then, you know, you can tell it came from right over here and then it starts to move across the, the stadium or whatever. But this was like spontaneous, like, Somebody starts chanting or they start going, woo, some, something like that. I can't even do it, what they were doing. I mean, I did it when they were doing it, but I was like, it's like it just spontaneously happened. Probably would have went on longer if Annie wouldn't have got up and just shut the whole spirit down. Oh, I didn't mean it that way. You know, you start to say something and you realize like, well, it could sound totally wrong, so I'll just make it wrong. I mean, it was still happening. It was just happening. It was so powerful. Anyway, wish you all were there. Yeah, um, let's see. That was, uh, it was the night, it was the Thursday night message. Yeah, you can get on iBethel TV, right? Yeah, or Jesus Culture. Yeah, and watch Reinhardt's message. It was on Thursday night, I believe. It was um, it was totally amazing. So, two, how many of you didn't go? <laughs> Too bad. Going to say something funny, but it wasn't coming to me. Um, just one other thing, uh, changing the subject. We we had you uh, pray about the civic auditorium. I don't know if you know what happened. We, uh, we met with this uh, people from the civic. Actually, we met with the city council at, on, I think that was Monday, and uh, we asked you not to come, which was awesome, and a bunch of uh, opposition came, and there was about 200 of them, they had cheerleaders, and, and, and it, was really, it was really awesome, just the way the Lord just turned the whole thing around, and they, uh, they let us lease the Civic Auditorium for 10 years, so we're excited about that. Really, really a God thing. And Charlie and I got up to speak, and I'm just like, I've never actually never spoke in a hostile environment like that. I was like, and I so I got up, and I'm like, you guys are kind of hostile. <laughs> I'm not used to people speaking to people who don't like me, you know. <laughs> anyway, not on purpose, at least. So let's pray, Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you're doing all over the world. Just for millions of people getting saved and for thousands of people coming to our stuff. <laughs> Everything is happening. Yeah, well, we're getting there. So, Lord, we just we bless this night and we bless faith. We just we pray for faith just to rise in the room. And we pray, God, that you would release another dimension of your intelligence and your, your, your way of thinking over us. That the mind of Christ would begin to 
to be uh, infiltrate every aspect of life and um, in, in every realm of society. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, take a little different uh, approach tonight than maybe I have in a while, but I want to talk about discovering your spiritual coefficient. And I know it sounds kind of strange, but how many of you have ever read the book Blink? It's not a, it's not a Christian book, but um, the book is about the book is about the fact that you are that you that you actually are more that your subconscious is actually more intelligent than your consciousness. That you know more than you think you know. And and the book is it, you know it doesn't talk about the spirit world. I don't think the guy's a Christian. I mean I don't know. I'm not saying he isn't, but the book is definitely doesn't say anything about spirituality. But he basically says that you you know more than you think you do, and that sometimes when you try to consciously reason something out, you actually are wrong. And when you just go with what your first impression is, which he calls your subconscious, you you actually are more intelligent in your subconscious than you are in your conscious mind. And I'm reading this book, and I'm like, this guy is talking about the spirit world. He just doesn't have the right language for it. Or we have different language than he does. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit tonight and... Um, I want to give you some definitions. Uh, IQ, I want to talk about IQ, EQ, and SQ. IQ being you know, your intelligent coefficient, and I got this right off the Internet, so it has to be accurate. <laughs> and, 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 and IQ means simply this, a number representing a person's reason, reasoning ability, measuring, measured using a problem-solving test as compared to a statistical form Average for their age taken as 100. In other words, they're measuring your reasoning ability, and 100 means you're average, and anything above that means you're better than average. Anything below that means you're less than average. And it's just your ability to reason. And then now, uh, probably about 10, 15 years ago, there started to be a big buzz, especially in the leadership and business world, over this thing of EQ. And EQ is your emotional coefficient or your emotional intelligence. And um, the emotional intelligence is this, the ability to perceive emotion, integrate emotion, and, de- and facilitate thought, understand emotion, and regulate emotion to promote personal and corporate growth. And um, there's, there's, a, there's several books now written on emotional intelligence. And actually, um, one of the books, I'm sorry, I should have brought the name of it, but one of the books, the books they did a study at a, a major university, Ivy League University, if I remember correctly, on emotional intelligence, and it's the ability for people to kind of read people, not um, not intellectually, but from the heart, if you will. And they they talk about the fact that most great leaders that that have led movements and nations are not so much the most IQ uh, high IQ people, but they're emotionally intelligent. They're able to read people, and they're able to move people towards something by emotionally touching their heart. By touching their, if we, we'd call it touching their soul. And, um, and tonight I want to talk about this SQ, and this is my uh, own definition. The ability to discern, perceive, and judge the spiritual dimensions that are at work in and around you and manage this realm towards a positive outcome. And how many of you know that you're a spirit that has a soul that has a body? And I want to talk tonight, how many of you know that? It's good. Your IQ will just move up if you knew that. And so um, tonight I want to talk a little bit about um, how to develop your spiritual intelligence. 
And about, um, I think it was about four or five months ago, I was on the phone with Heidi, Heidi Baker, and we were just interacting. We're really good friends, and we were just talking about life and what God was doing. And, and um, I began to have this prophetic word over Heidi on the phone, and I said, I see you moving into the Ivy League universities. You know, she has a, a Ph.D., I see you moving into Ivy League universities, and I see uh, um, I see an SQ movement growing throughout the Ivy League universities, where people are going to start uh, learning. You're going to come into the universities, and you're going to start classes on SQ, how to grow your spiritual intelligence. And uh, she she called me about a month later and said, God told me I'm supposed to write a book on SQ. So. I'm really excited. I feel like there's a real move towards people wanting to develop the other dimension of their being, which is actually the way God, uh, the way that God created us. He created us a spirit that has a soul and a body. Are you with me? In other words, developing your SQ, your spirit is the person, is the part of you that's supposed to lead you. How many of you know that your soul and your body are good? You know, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wives as you love your own flesh. So how many of you understand that when you receive Jesus Christ, you got a new spirit, you got a new soul, and you got a new body? And even David said, the Lord restores my soul. And he said, my soul and my flesh cry out for the living God. So your, your soul's not bad, but you, and how many of you understand your, your flesh is weak? Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Your flesh isn't evil, but it is weak. In other words, why not develop the most powerful part of you, your spirit. Why not develop your spiritual IQ? Why not develop the, why, why not let the part of you that's supposed to lead you be the part of you that you work out the most, that you grow the most? You know, a lot of us work out our bodies and you can tell that I've been moving towards that for some time. <laughs> Did you know the word for anointing in the Old Testament is fatness? Nothing to do with what I'm talking about. and I'm not sure it is in every place, but I know that at least one of the words for anointing is fatness. And I like that. Because I'm getting so anointed. <laughs> I think the Lord wants us to be naturally supernatural. And Bill quoted a verse, I think uh, it may have been at the Jesus Culture Conference, um, out of Hebrews chapter 5, it's the last verse, I think it's verse 14. It's, it says, salt food is for the mature who have become, who, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern both good and evil. And the word senses there is, is a, the word, it means in the Greek, an organ of perception. It means you have an organ of perception. How many of you understand that you have like a sixth sense? You have an organ of perception. The ability to perceive into the spiritual dimensions. And I, I want to tell you about five dimensions of spiritual intelligence. And these are my own. I'm sure there's more of them, but these are just my own uh, recollection. And in fact, why don't you just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I've never ever taught this before, so not that I'm more polished than this, but. Um, verse, uh, we'll just go from verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Brethren, I don't want you to be unaware, and I've taught this before, but the word gifts, you'll notice in your, in your Bible, it should be italicized. Now concerning spiritual gifts, the word gifts there should be italicized because it's not in the Greek. It doesn't say now concerning spiritual gifts. It says now concerning the spiritual. I don't want you to be unaware. How many of you understand that the Lord's trying to teach us about the spirit realm? He's not just trying to teach you about gifts. 
He's trying to teach you about the spirit realm. And then he goes on. Um, he says, now concerning the spiritual brother, and I don't want you to be unaware. You know, when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, make known to you that no one speaking uh, by the Spirit of God says Jesus is a curse. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting to me. Verse 4. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And I want, I'm going to uh, talk to you in just a minute about that. But I want you to notice that there are a variety of effects... There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And how many of you understand that you can have the word of knowledge? You can have the word of knowledge. Bill can have the word of knowledge. Eric can have the word of knowledge. I can have the word of knowledge. Same, we can have the same gift but, and still have a different effect. That I can, that I can, have, the, the, I can have the gift of discerning of spirits, and it can have one effect in one arena and a different effect in a different arena, but it's the same gift. Same Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And I, and we can, we can have the gift of healing. I can have the gift of healing. You can have the gift of healing. You can have the gift of healing. But I, but with the gift of healing, I can have a completely different ministry with the gift of healing than you have with the gift of healing. So in other words, same Spirit, sometimes same gift, different effects and different ministries by the same Spirit. And so there's dimensions to the Spirit. That's all I'm trying to say. Um, verse 8. To each one's given the word, I'm sorry, verse 7. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everybody say common good. That's one of our core values that God is good all the time and that all the gifts are good all the time. And you can tell when you're using the gift in a way that's not, in a way that breaks the boundaries of the Holy Spirit's core values because the gifts are for the common good. And when you're doing something that isn't, the outcome isn't good, how many understand that's not the Spirit's idea? Okay, and then it goes on to say, for one is given the word of wisdom. Everybody say word of wisdom through the spirit to another word of knowledge. Everybody say word of knowledge by the same spirit to another faith. Everybody say faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. I didn't tell you to say that to another effective of miracles <laughs> to another prophecy to another distinguishing of spirits and to another uh, various kinds of tongues. And interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all things, distributing to each individually as he wills. And I wanted to ask you, <laughs> shut up. Okay. I wanted to talk about, um, five, five dimensions of spiritual intelligence. It's not, it's not the only dimensions of spiritual intelligence that there is. It's just the only ones I thought of when I was taking notes. And the first one is the gift of discernment. And I want to give you some, definitions of, of gifts, of these gifts that maybe they'll bore you, but maybe it'll help. Um, the gift of discernment, the ability to accurately perceive the spiritual entities that are influencing people, organizations, and geographic locations that it applies to their motives, attitudes, inclinations, and mindsets. In other words, uh, the gift of discernment, one piece of the gift of discernment is that you can come in to a geographic area and know what spirit is influencing that area. You can, you can step into a person's life and know if there's a spirit influencing that person's life. And some of you, um, the way that this works for some of you, and I've taught this many times here, but the way this works for some of you is that when somebody, let's just say that somebody has, um, let's say someone has a suicidal spirit on them. And I want to distinguish this from they themselves, the human spirit, 
want, in other words, there's a difference between somebody being suicidal. They, their will, they have taken their will and they have turned it against themselves. And a spirit of suicide. In other words, a spirit of suicide is actually an evil spirit that's trying to get you to kill yourself. How many know that's different than your will? If a spirit, if an evil spirit of suicide is on someone's life and you have the gift of distinguishing of spirits, the way it will affect you is that when you get in that person's metron, and metron means their place of influence, and I think we need to come up with a word for this because the New Age people call it an aura. And there actually is such thing as an aura. It's your place of influence. So I don't like to use that word because it, we're already getting accused of being weird. So, but, <laughs> but you have a metron. You have a place of influence. When you walk, I don't know, for some of us, just, you know, visualize with me. For some of us, it may be two feet around us. And for some of us, it may be a city. For some of us, it may be, if you're, if you are the manager of a store, for instance, you manage a store, and because Romans 13 says that all authority is from God, as soon as you become manager, your metron, your place, your sphere of influence in the spirit will now include that store. So when you get into someone's metron, if you have the gift of discernment, you get into their metron, if they're being influenced by an evil spirit, and I use the suicide example for a minute, and when you step into their metron, suddenly you will have thoughts of suicide. If you don't know that you have the gift of distinguishing of spirits, you can, you can feel bipolar. I'm telling you, I believe that there is a lot of bipolar people I'm diagnosed bipolar. There are actually people that have the gift of distinguishing your spirits and don't know how to use it. They move, and because if you don't, if you don't understand that that's not your stuff, your mood shifts. And so one of the things we need to do is we need to begin to develop this SQ so that people understand what's happening to them. Sometimes when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're worse, you, you feel, feel worse off than you were before. Because all of a sudden you have all these gifts and you don't know how to use them. If you walk into a store and somebody in that store, the manager of that store, somebody in authority in that store, let's say, is depressed. Have you ever walked into a store and you feel totally fine and you walk into the store and suddenly you feel depressed or discouraged or exhausted? How many of you ever went into a store, you feel totally fine, you're like, ah, you know, ladies, we're going to shop. You get in there, and you're in there two minutes, and you're like, I'm exhausted. I just need to grab what I need and go home. How many have ever had that experience before? You get in the car, you drive four blocks, and you're fine. How many have ever had that? That's a distinguishing of spirits, and there's someone in authority in that place that has, you know, Isaiah 61 says, I'm going to give you a mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. There's actually a spirit of fatigue. You walk in that place, and suddenly you're exhausted. What's happening? The spirit, the spirit of fatigue that's on that person got on you. Now, if you know that that's not you, you can go, get off me. But usually what happens is we, we personify it. We're like, oh, man, I'm tired. Listen, if you didn't say, if you caught it and said, hey, I'm not tired, you are not going to affect me. Get off me. Besides that, get out of here while I'm here. Because this is my city. You see how important spiritual intelligence is? Because as soon as you understand what's happening to you, you have authority to do something about it. I can't tell you how many times in the early days, 
especially even in the early days of Bethel, I would sit, you know, sit in the front row and doing fine, and someone would sit next to me, and, you know, Bill can confirm us. We had a lot of witches and warlocks coming to our services the first few years, so they really bothered me. I don't mean they bothered me like I was afraid of them. I mean, they're... They would bring their stuff with into the service, and I'm trying to worship, and I'm like, oh, I'm thinking I want to kill myself. I'm thinking really bad stuff. I'm like, you know, I, I know I was totally mentally fine when I walked in here, but I, but I am not now. Worship's supposed to make you better, not worse. And then I'd be like, oh, there's a person right over there. Usually they'd be dressed up really nice, and they were like throwing curses at us. I'm like, okay. And at first we used to like, we break these curses, but what we found is we just walked over and gave them a hug and loved them. That usually shut the whole system down. Yeah, we did that a lot. The second part of the discerning of spirits, or I like the word distinguishing of spirits. Um, the second part of that is this, the ability to appraise the level of spiritual favor and the strength and the strength of the human spirit that is present in the triune being of each individual. Let me just put that in plain English. It's the ability to know the favor that's on people. How many of you understand that Jesus grew in favor with God and man? Jesus did. In other words, he started at a level of favor, and as and as he matured, it says that he learned obedience to the things he suffered. Isn't this interesting? Jesus was never disobedient, because disobedience is sin, but he learned obedience to the things he suffered. And he gained favor with God and man. The distinguishing of spirits is the, in the second part of it is the ability to know the favor that's on somebody else. Remember in um, Luke 14, where you're, these, all these guests come to this guy's party, and, it's, and Jesus is watching them take the best seats. Remember that? And then he says, listen, if I were you, I would take the lowest seat, because otherwise someone more distinguished than you. And it's actually the same word as distinguishing of spirits. It's the same Greek word. Someone more distinguished than you is going to come in the room, and the, and, the, and the person who invited you is going to say, hey, you need to scoot down, and that's going to be embarrassing. So if you take the lowest seat, then if someone more distinguished than you comes in, then they can invite you up instead of you being invited down. In other words, you can humble yourself or, and be exalted, or you can be, you can be exalted and get humbled. You understand? But I like this because it's the... the the distinguishing of spirits isn't just for evil spirits, it's also for the human spirit. In other words, I can discern what level of favor God has on that human spirit, and I can put myself in right place. That That's part of the spiritual intelligence is important, because you can meet somebody, I was with someone real recently, who is a, a multi-billionaire, very, 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 very anointed, very has tons of favor, leads nations, and and looks t- like a totally normal guy, like dresses. Uh, every every really rich person I've met dresses down, and every totally poor person I know dresses up. So I just dress in the middle. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is I you know everyone's telling me, man, you need to meet this guy. You need to meet this guy. Like two years, like you need to meet this guy. And I finally meet this guy, and like my my. My discernment's going, major guy, big anointing, like warning, warning, not in a bad way, warning, warning, be careful, stay low, get low. 
and the guy's not like super articulate. He doesn't come off as anything, anybody. He's got an old pair of Levi's on. He's got an old Levi's shirt on. He, he doesn't drive, he doesn't, you know, he didn't pull up in a limousine. I mean, there was no fanfare. He's really quiet. You know, we're having lunch with him on this, on this day a while back. And, 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 and like the room is filled with this incredible mantle and anointing. But I'm looking at this guy with my eyes and I'm like, if you're not careful, See, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. You know that verse. But the, the previous verse says, We know each other no longer after the flesh. And part of spiritual intelligence is going, Hey, listen, this guy deserves seat 10. I deserve seat in his presence too. And I'm just going to get low and let it flow. Because if I'm not careful... I go, you know what, this guy, I seem, you know, I know this sounds arrogant. If you can just follow me, the example. I feel, I think I'm more anointed than him. Guess what happens when you don't think that you could have, that that person has anything to give you? You don't receive anything. I've watched Bill do this for years. Like, he'll bring somebody in and it's like, you know, or, or, or he'll have this guy pray for him. And I'm like, that guy doesn't look more anointed than Bill. But Bill's the guy kneeling. And I'm like, that's probably the right thing to do right now. It's like, <laughs> like Bill talks about his, his uh, Springer Spaniel, the demonic uh, dog he had, <laughs> demonized dog. And the dog learned to point by watching other dogs point, or at least that's part of it. I don't think I got that right. But I've watched Bill, and I'm like, okay, Bill's kneeling before this guy. Doesn't, he, this guy doesn't look like anything special, but he must be because the guy who I know is anointed is kneeling before the guy who doesn't look anointed, so I'm going to kneel too. <laughs> I'm going to get me some of that. Are you following me? Like spiritual intelligence means that you have the ability to discern the favor that's on that man by God, and you're not looking at them after the flesh, but after the spirit. And how many of you understand that sometimes we're entertaining angels and we don't even know it? It's the ability to be able to see what God's put on someone, not with your natural eye. It reminds me of the story when Samuel, uh, the prophet Samuel, goes to Jesse's house to find a king. Do you remember the story? And Elib comes out, the oldest, who's taller than everyone. He's good looking. And Samuel, this great prophet, is going to anoint him king. Like he sees the oldest son and he's going to anoint him king. He's like, right house. This is Jesse's house. Oldest son. Makes total sense. Guy looks like a king. It's the guy. And right before he anoints him king, God goes, you got the wrong guy. And he tells Samuel, he corrects him, he goes, don't look like man looks. And so he's like, okay, I better be a little bit more aware. It's not the oldest. And he has all the guys, all the sons pass by him. Seven other sons, seven sons pass by him. And then Samuel Samuel goes, you know, I I actually don't see anybody here who's actually anointed. You got anybody else? He goes, oh, yeah, I've got this one son. He's, he's out there in the, with the sheep. He goes, well, bring him in. He brings David in. David's ruddy. Now, he doesn't look kingly. He looks like a good-looking little boy. And God goes, that's the guy. That's the guy I told you to anoint. And how many times when you're not spiritually intelligent, when you're not spiritually aware, when you're not spiritually trained, when, you don't, when you're not practicing, because that, that Hebrews 5 verse says, who have, who, who, they discern good and evil because they practice. With their senses. Like they practice. They're like, okay, who in here is the most anointed? And I know this sounds a little strange, but who in here has the most favor? And how many of you understand, if you, if you put yourself in the right position, it says, um, 
that the, the, the anointing, it was on the top of Aaron's head and it flowed, the oil flowed over his head, down his beard and down his legs, all the way to his feet. And do you understand that the anointing that was on the head, if, you, if you're in right alignment, is the same anointing that's on the feet? But if you get out of alignment, around the world, he says, you create dripping points. You create points where the anointing doesn't have the effect that God assigned to that. So when we come into right alignment, we, when we have spiritual intelligence and we discern, hey, there's something powerful in that person that I need. I come into right alignment and I get the same anointing that's on that person, gets on me, and pretty soon I can do what they can do because only because I spiritually discerned the person rightly and I received from them. Paul said when he's talking about 1 Corinthians 11, he's talking about communion, but he says some of you are sick, some are weak, some are sick, and some have even died because you misjudged the body. And I always thought he's talking about like, you're judging people and, and you know, mercy will be, a judgment will be merciless to those who have no, shown no mercy, James says in chapter 3, I think. And I always thought he's talking about that. Then I realized that actually the, the context is communion, common union. And he's going, listen, there are people sitting right next to you. You may be sick. There's someone right next to you that has the gift of healing, but you're looking for the famous guy. So you remain sick because you misjudge the body. And Bill taught on this at Jesus Culture that you've misjudged the body. You're looking for the superstar. You're looking for, well, Bill's going to pray for me. Reinhardt's going to pray for me. I got Reinhardt to pray for me. Just in case I'm wrong about this, I got him to pray for me. You've got to cover your bases, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like the ability to judge that the person that's sitting right next to you looks... You're so familiar with them, you lose sight that Jesus is in them. And I think it's important, you know, I just said that there are times like... The Luke 14 scripture. I mean, I think scripture's held in tension. There are times when you have to discern, like, there's the most anointed person right there. But I think that the greater, the greater application is just to notice what's on someone you're always with. I tell you, some of the things that I think are happening among us, I'm getting off subject for a minute, but maybe it's, I know it's right, is that in most circles, to grow up, you have to go out. I can't tell you how many times I've met people in my own life that, you know, I'm, I'm mentoring them or I've got some level of relationship with them. I think, oh, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a pretty awesome gal or guy. They leave and two years later they're like famous. And I'm like, why didn't that happen here? And some of it is because we reduce people down to what we see instead of what we see. And they can't grow up because the, the culture itself holds them into the place that we knew them as. Isn't that Jesus? Didn't he poop his pants? When he, didn't he get slapped? Didn't he touch the, the stove? And he, you know, he put things in the microwave he shouldn't have. You know, wasn't that guy down the street? And we, and we miss our miracle because as he grew, we didn't grow with him. And one of the things that I'm excited about here is, is this whole succession planning and watching Eric, you know, and watching Candace and watching Brian, and I'm sorry, I'll miss a bunch of them, but, you know, these guys, we grew up with these guys. These guys grew up in our houses. We, we were close. We, you know, I watched, babysat Eric when he was little, and now I'm watching him grow. And, and I'm like, this is, I, I can like, I can remember him the way he was, or I can step back 
turn on my discernment and go, the favor of God's on that guy. And, and I could help promote him, not because, well, you know, we got to have succession planning around here. We better do this right. No, I can promote him because of what I see. Because I'm practicing my discernment. And I'm like, there's something special on him. I need to, it's time to pull him up. Are you, are you following me? And so this, this, um, this spiritual intelligence is really important. Let me just give you a couple of others. The gift of, uh, the gift of knowledge. The gift, uh, the, is the ability to receive facts and pertinent information about the visible dimension by communicating with the spirit world. Did you get that? It's the ability to receive facts and pertinent information about the visible realm by communicating with the spirit world. I used to use this all the time, the word knowledge in the repair shop business. I know I didn't tell the customers about it. But um, one of my main jobs, and we had we had uh, three or four repair shops. I think we had three repair shops at one time. But my job was, uh, besides running the shops, was to diagnose the cars. So I was a troubleshooter. And um, we charged one hour minimum. So if you had a problem with your car, you come in and you got charged one hour minimum. And I sort of always felt like, I should try for that one hour. I should try in my human means. I probably would do it differently now, but this is the way I felt that. I'd try for 55 minutes, and if I couldn't figure out what's wrong with it, then I'd ask the Holy Spirit to give me a word of knowledge. I had to feel like I gave, you, gave it my best first. I don't know why. Maybe I made more money and whatever. But I would ask the Holy Spirit, like, what's the problem with this car? And he'd tell me, oh, it's a capacitor underneath the seat. I'm like, Okay. Oftentimes we'd be busy and I'm like, I'd actually cheat. I'm like, I'd come in and just like, Holy Spirit, what's wrong with this car? But he would actually tell me specifically what was wrong with the car. And um, lots of times I, I um, you know, Proverbs says knowledge comes easy to he who has understanding. <clears throat> Sometimes the Holy Spirit would give me a word of knowledge for something I didn't understand at all. I remember when computer cars first came out, computerized cars first came out. It was in the, actually 1979 is the first time I ever saw a, a computerized car. And we didn't have, a, you know, we're living in Weaverville. I mean, think about Weaverville. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, we had black and white TV. No, we didn't. I'm joking. But we, you know, we, we didn't have, we weren't getting information like people in the cities. And so a car would come in, usually on a tow truck, and I was like, wow, what is all that stuff? And I asked the Holy Spirit, okay, I don't, I don't have understanding, so you're just going to have to give me a word of knowledge. And he'd tell me, oh, it's this sensor. This, this, and, and he would tell me what to do, and I'd look in a book, I'm like, oh, I don't really understand that, but I tested it, hmm, it is bad. And I would use the word of knowledge in my business. Remember, there are different gifts, but there are different effects, and there are different ministries. So I could use the word of knowledge to heal the sick in here, like we see happen every day, but I can also use the word of knowledge to fix cars. I can also use the word of knowledge to fix governments. I remember I've told this story uh, several times, and I think it's in one of my books. Um, we had a um, computer in our uh, first part store, and it was a um, it was a um, it was a single kind of user computer. It was the first. Anyway, it was, I don't know anything about computers, so forgive me, but it definitely wasn't a Mac. 
And um, we had, we needed five pricing levels. Now, I don't want to go into all the details. You wouldn't probably understand it anyway. It's kind of unique to, to that one business. But we needed five pricing levels, and the computer and the software program that we purchased for a few thousand dollars only had three pricing levels. So I called the programmer who actually wrote the program, and I said, hey, we need five pricing levels. You know, is there some kind of an update? Is there something we can buy to add on to this? And, you know, and I, I spent literally two or three hours on the phone with the programmer. He's like, you know what? This system was only written to have three pricing levels. So we'd actually have to rewrite the whole program for that to happen. And he said, you know, what I suggest is you need you need software specific to your business, and you bought general software, and you're trying to make it fit your business. And So we did that for a little while, and finally I brought a programmer up from Reading, and he came up and spent, I can't remember, a few hours there, and he looked at it, and he said, you know what, this same thing the programmer told me, the guy who wrote the program, he said this software was written just to have three uh, price levels, and there's just no way I can see to make it have any more than three price levels. I suggest you get, I know, automotive software. Yeah, well, that's $30,000 I don't have. So this this probably went on for three or four months, and and it, it, what it meant to us is that every time we sold a part to a shop that actually stocked our parts, does that make sense? The the auto auto repair shops that had our our inventory in stock got a special price. Our computer didn't have the ability to give them a better price. So we had to remember to do it every time. We had to override the price. Well, you can imagine how many times when you get busy that you forget to override the price, and then the customer thinks that you're ripping them off because they think, oh, when we turn our back, you charge us a higher price, and they think it's a, an integrity issue. It's like we have to watch every invoice because you guys rip us off. So I'm like, man, this is really huge, but we don't have the money to fix it. Well, one night, I go to bed, and I have a dream. And in the dream, I see all this programming stuff. You know, like, I don't, can't even explain it. You know, backslash, dash, du- double dot, all stuff. I mean, I don't know what this is. This is totally foreign to me. But I have a dream, and in the dream, I see this formula. This is a true story. And when I wake up, this is a crazier thing. When I wake up, I remember it. Well enough to write it down. Now, you know, if you miss a backsplash on anything, right? I mean, unless you're on Google, it doesn't know what you're doing. I wake up and I, and I wake up and I always had my a journal next to me and I write down this, this formula. And I think, and I think, this must be the formula to give us five price levels because I was praying about it before I went to sleep. So I wake Kathy up. It's like three o'clock in the morning. I go, Hey, get up. She's like, what? What? I said, the Lord just gave me a formula for the computer system. She's like, oh, shut up. <laughs> you know, this is the truth. You, you turn on the computer at our, in our company. You turn on the computer, and then you have to type in this code to make the computer come up. That's the way it used to be. Well, I didn't know how to do that. Because one, I couldn't type. And two, the guys would write down the code, and I still couldn't get it right. Like, it. You know, no, 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 you have to, you have to, that's capitalized. No, I'm just forget it. I'll just wait for you to come in. That's how bad I was. I couldn't get the computer to turn on. So here I have this formula. <laughs> so I wake her up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I go, let's go down to the parts store and put this formula in. She's like, not a believer. <laughs> Judging me after the flesh instead of after the spirit. 
And this is a great example of what I'm talking about. How our computer can remain sick because of someone who doesn't believe in you. So we, so I finally convinced her. We went down at three, 3 o'clock in the morning. And um, there was like three lines. So th- three lines of information. So she types in the first. She's kind of frustrated with me. She's half asleep. What's the formula? And by the way, I've been wrong before, so I mean, for some reason, just be, just to be real, I've been wrong before. So she types in, da 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 da, and it goes, and it comes to a back, a page, a different page, the back page. She's like, what's the rest of that? I'm like, this is the rest of it. She's like, she puts it all in. It's taking it, which I don't know what that means, but she's like, it's taking it. I'm like, is that good? Yeah. She gets it all in there. And I said, well, she goes, well, let's go to the front screen and see what happens. Goes to the front screen. We have five pricing levels. That's a word of knowledge with no understanding. You know, you're tapping into that. All of us that don't know anything about you know, about uh, anatomy, we're all tapping into that when we're doing, when we're moving in healing, right? Dr. Van Maul's with us. He's like, well, that's the, I'm like, it's got a bad elbow. <laughs> I mean, ministering with Dr. Van Maul or Julie Winters is a totally different thing. That You know, we're on the line praying one time, Van Maul's right here and Julie Winters was three people over and they're like, well, can you move the unicollateral? I'm like, I'm just like, where's your pain? <laughs> Be gone. He's speaking to the ligaments and all of the different, you know, in technical terms. I'm like, that isn't going to help. The Holy Spirit doesn't need that stuff. <laughs> I know. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> but you can actually develop the word of knowledge. And it can have different effects in different ministries. You can use, you can, and I say use it, I don't mean it in a bad way, use the Holy Spirit, you know that. But I mean, you can use the whole, you can use this word of knowledge. We do it all the time. We meet with governmental officials, we step into the room, we don't know, I can't tell you how many times, Cindy, uh, Jacobs, she prayed for me two years ago, two and a half years ago in my office. I was just with her this week at Jesus Culture. And she prayed for me, and I said, how do you, you know, like she prays for governors and presidents and prime ministers, she's famous for it. I'm like, how do you do that? Like, do you have words before you go in there? She goes, mm, not normally. I go, when do you get them? She goes, when I get in there. I'm like, seriously? I mean, I do that all day long with people. They like, stand in line, do you have a word for me? No, now I do. I'm like, I don't know what happens when you get in a room with a president. And you're like, hey, I've come here because I have a word from God. What is it? I don't know yet. <laughs> Just hang on a minute. It's coming to me. <laughs> yeah, Hurry. No. I'm serious. Sometimes I've been in a couple situations and it's on, you know, dial up. It's like, <laughs> you're making small talk, you know. <laughs> oh, a message comes up. Network's down. Like, No.
I've been in places in, 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 you know, in the last couple of years, I walk into places like that after she prayed for me, Cindy Jacobs prayed for me. I started saying, you know what? I'm going to meet with these people. God opened doors. And so I, I remember the first time we go in this place and I walk in and I, I'm not nervous at all. So I'm, I know the Lord's involved, but I have this other problem. I have no word. And my friend got me and says, hey, my, my pastor has a word for you. So we're walking up the stairs. You know, there's there's secret service involved and going through security. And this is a big deal. This is like a pretty big deal. Pretty big guy. And so he he leans over to me and goes, do you have a word? What? He goes, no. He goes, what's the word? I go, I don't have it yet. He's like, seriously? I'm like, seriously. He goes, are you nervous? I said, no. I'm thinking, I don't know why I'm not nervous. I think I'm just so too stupid to be nervous right now. <laughs> Get in this place and... They got the we're we're with this person. I don't want to tell you where or when this is, but we get in this place and they and they they got they pull down this screen that has a picture of the city behind it and they bring in the camera people and we're sitting at this beautiful ornate table and there's bodyguards there and secret service people and and he's got brought in this entourage and I'm like and my friend leans over who got me and he goes Do you have anything yet I'm like Mm-mm. He goes, we're about to do this in about 30 seconds. I'm like, yeah, I had that idea too. <laughs> and he's whispering to me, are you nervous? I'm like, I don't know why, but I'm not. So I just thought I'd do what I do with you guys. I just start talking and, and hopefully some, I say something. <laughs> so I just start talking. You know, he introduces me, da-da-da, and he calls me a futurist. He's like, this is a futurist, and he knows the future. He's like, Okay. Camera's rolling. I'm like, all I need now is the future. <laughs> Only thing I'm lacking is the future right now. That's all I need right now. It's just a future. I got the Holy Spirit. I'm going to heaven. I got in the place I've been asking to get into. All I need right now is just the future. So I just start talking. You know, thank you very much for meeting with us. It's a really great privilege. <laughs> and while I'm talking to him, I get this picture, and uh, I, 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 I don't think I better tell you what the picture was, but I get this picture. It's just a really simple picture, and I share the picture with him, and I said, does that mean anything to you? And he's like, no, and I'm thinking, does it mean anything to me either? <laughs> but I hope it does in a few minutes here. So pretty soon, um, uh, you know, I said, does that picture mean anything to you? And he goes, no. And no, no, he's really kind. No, it doesn't. And he has 15, gave us 15 minutes. So he's looking at his watch after five minutes. I'm like, you're bored. I'm bored, too. <laughs> Something needs to happen really soon here. And so um, the Lord just opens the door and starts telling me about his um, a business transaction that 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 happened and how it happened and when it happened. And and so I say, um, you know, about this business transaction and. How this happened and, 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 and the decision you made. And he looks at me and he goes, uh huh. And then he, then he, he goes like this, stop. He turns to the guys that are running the cameras. He goes, everyone out. <laughs> we were in there for two hours. What else do you have? What else do you have? Then the next meeting was on Skype and then flew to meet us in a city. But I mean, it just started with just actually Cindy. Jacob's laying hands on me and, and telling me, I don't have anything on it until I get in there. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get something. And you can do that in your realm. 
whatever realm it is, wherever you, wherever you work, you work at Walmart, you work at Burger King, whatever, you know, it's like word of knowledge. I, I listen, I didn't even take your order. This is what you wanted. I don't like ketchup. Dude, you're eating it. You are eating ketchup tonight. Holy Spirit wanted you to have ketchup. <laughs> uh, gift of wisdom. This is the third dimension of uh, spiritual intelligence, the gift of wisdom. And I, here's my definition. Wisdom is the ability to rightly apply knowledge in a way that builds for the future that which was envisioned by the Creator so that we develop a divine ecosystem that yields life. Wisdom is the ability to rightly apply knowledge. And um, I'll give you an example of that if I can think of one. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give you an example in a minute, but I'm going to move on to the other two. The gift of prophecy is the ability to foresee the future before it happens and the ability to understand a person, organization, or geographic location's divine purpose and call. And the fifth one is the mind of, the mind of God, the mind of Christ. And this is the, the ability to process all aspects of life from the eternal, timeless, and multidimensional perspective. The ability to think supernaturally and perceive the natural world through, an infinite, through infinite probabilities and limitless resources that transcend the laws of physics and the, resti- and the restrictions of physical realities. You want me to read that again? The ability to think supernaturally and to perceive the natural world through infinite probabilities and limitless resources that transcend the laws of physics and the restrictions of physical realities. In other words, when you have the mind of God, what looks impossible to everyone else seems totally possible to you. I don't mean because you're like trying to, you know, you know I, I like when we're, when we're uh, breaking through something and you can feel that you're breaking through it. You, you know, when someone goes, you're going to get a breakthrough, how many of you understand that that means there's something opposing you? And when you get a breakthrough, you can feel it. It's like, ah, oh, I just passed through some kind of resistance. I just passed through an enemy resistance, or I passed through some kind of natural resistance or whatever. But when you have the mind of, when you have the mind of Christ, when you have the mind of God, how many of you understand, how many of you have ever thought about something that's totally impossible, but when you think about it, it totally feels totally possible. And everyone around you is like, are you crazy? And then you're right. Yeah. I'm right a lot. <laughs> and sometimes I'm not. Um, I want to just, uh, I want to finish with a couple of uh, examples. Turn to um, Genesis 41. This is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Um, and I'm going to tell you the story because I, I know that you'll be familiar with it as soon as I, you start to read it. Um, it's a story of Pharaoh who has a dream about seven skinny calves and seven fat calves. How many of you remember the story? And what's interesting to me, there's, there's a few things interesting about the story. And I want to contrast it, too, with the story of Nebuchadnezzar, and we'll do it real quickly. There's, some, there's a couple of common themes. Pharaoh has this dream. Now, I know the Bible doesn't say this, but I would propose that Pharaoh had lots of dreams. But he has this dream, and he's really troubled by this dream. 
And, and what's interesting is, and he brings Joseph in, who was in prison. He interpreted the dream for the cupbearer and the baker. Do you remember that? And that's how he gets entrance to it. I'm just trying to do this quickly because I, I want to just point out a couple of things, but for maybe people who don't know the uh, don't know the story. So, so he interprets Joseph's in prison, and he interprets a dream for the cupbearer, the king's cupbearer, who who falsely accused and goes to prison, and the baker, and he got those two right. So a couple years later, Pharaoh has a dream. He has this dream about seven skinny calves, no, seven fat calves, and then seven skinny calves, and the seven fat, seven skinny calves eat the seven fat calves. And he wakes up, and he is totally and completely troubled. And he goes, and he asks all of his wise counselors, who are mostly sorcerers, I had this dream, you know, I don't know what it means, but it's really troubling me. They don't know the interpretation. They can't figure it out. And while he's going through all this, the cupbearer, who's kind of, you know, in the king's presence, goes, hey, you know, the king's kind of out of ideas. Like, I, this dream's really troubled me, and none of my wise people, know, wise men know what, what the meaning is. He goes, hey, there's this guy in prison. He got my dream right. Maybe he can get yours right. And so he brings Joseph out of prison, and Joseph, he tells Joseph the dream, and Joseph says this to Pharaoh, verse 25. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God, everybody say God, has told Pharaoh what he's about to do. God has told Pharaoh what he's about to do. Now how many of you understand that Pharaoh has a dream in the form of a riddle, and Joseph says to, to Pharaoh, God has told you what he's about to do. And Pharaoh knows that the dream is profound, but he doesn't know what it means. But Joseph said, God told you this. God told you what he's about to do. And Pharaoh's like, what's he about to do? <laughs> he's like, oh, you want to know what the dream means? Well, God told me what the dream means. And God and, and Joseph begins to tell him what the dream means. What's interesting is that Pharaoh, when, when Pharaoh has this dream, he's consciously, he's become consciously ignorant as, as opposed to unconsciously ignorant. In other words, he, now he knows that he doesn't know what he needs to know to navigate his life. Now he knows that he doesn't know what he needs to know to navigate his life. But get this, he knows that he doesn't know. No, this is really huge. I'm not being funny. He knows that he doesn't know. I mean, he doesn't have a dream and write it down and go, well, that was a weird dream. Guinea calves, fat calves, eat one another. I hope I don't have another one of those. He wakes up, and now he knows that he doesn't know. Listen, I believe Pharaoh's dreaming again. And God is giving the world the answers to their destiny, but they don't know what it means. But they know that they don't know. I think the world has become spiritually conscious. I think, this, I think the world is starving for spiritual intelligence. They're, listen, Harry Potter is training people in an epic season of spiritual intelligence. I'm telling you, the, the movies are beginning to train people in spiritual intelligence. But it's coming from the wrong side. You, you, are we all agreeing with that? I'm saying that people are hungry for this third dimension of intelligence. They know they were born for it. And they're looking for someone to teach them what they were taught in elementary school doesn't exist. 
These people were taught there's no God. We got here by a big burp. You know, your grandfather's dragging his leg, his, 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 his knuckles in some jungle someplace. That's what they're, you know, your great great grandfather's an amoeba. They were taught that and they're going, why am I here? That's a stupid question. If you didn't, if you didn't have a creator, you have no purpose. And people are going, why am I here? And what are all these things I got going? In other words, their senses, they're feeling things with their senses, but they're not trained. And the enemy's trying to see, he, he's trying to train them on the dark side. And I'm telling you, we're going to go to the Ivy League colleges, universities, and colleges all over the world, and we're going to begin to teach them spiritual intelligence. I, I, I believe it's the word of the Lord. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be the cool thing to learn the third dimension of your being. We're going to teach people word of knowledge. We're going to teach people the gift of wisdom. We're going to teach people how to move in it, because God is talking to Pharaoh. <laughs> Daniel, turn to Daniel. We're almost done. Chapter uh, something. Chapter 1. Listen, I just want to show you something. Daniel, um, he's in exile. He's now, he's he's actually a POW. He's a prisoner of war. The king decides, hey, you know, maybe we ought to get some of those guys that we arrested the most, the smartest ones. Why don't we put them in service for us? They can, those, they are, we can, we can bring them in. We can bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that guy Daniel. Why, you know, they're, they seem pretty smart. Why don't you get them? Why don't you train them for a year and see if they can help us? And so the, you know, you know that whole thing that happens um, with Daniel saying he's not going to eat the king's food and all of that. Okay, we're fast forwarding. Verse 17. As for these four youth, God gave them. Listen to this. God. Everybody say God. God gave them knowledge and intelligence. Knowledge. Did you get this? Two separate things. Knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. And Daniel understood all kinds of visions and dreams. So four of them had knowledge, intelligence, and wisdom. And Daniel had understood dreams and visions. Do you see there's four dimensions there? He had knowledge, intelligence, and wisdom. All four of the boys had that. And Daniel had one extra gift. He also had the ability to interpret dreams and visions. How many understand spiritual intelligence? And where was it coming from? See, they didn't have knowledge. It says, and God had given them knowledge and intelligence. Do you understand that they didn't, they didn't get that from the university? I'm not opposed to that, but they got it from God. And so, um, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And, um, he has this dream of this statue. Remember this dream? Fast forwarding. You guys remember this dream at all? Statue, the head was bronze and all the way down the feet of clay and mixed. Okay. He has this dream. Um, verse one, and on the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, 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 Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And listen to this. And his spirit was troubled. He had dreams and his spirit was troubled. Are you getting this? Spiritual intelligence. The guy doesn't know God, but he's wired. He's wired to be spiritually 
aware. He's a wicked king. He's spiritually aware. He doesn't know God, but God knows him. To me, this is amazing. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. The king gave orders to call in all the magicians. Did I say that right? The conjurer. That's right. The sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. Listen to this. And the king said to them, I have a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. I had a dream. Do you remember Pharaoh? Years before. I have a dream. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. I'd like to propose Nebuchadnezzar had many dreams. In fact, we know that he had at least three dreams because they're recorded. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar is a dreamer. But he has a dream and his spirit is troubled. He is so troubled that he says to all of his wise people, he goes, if you guys, he goes, you guys tell me my dream and then tell me the interpretation. They go, tell us the dream. We'll tell you the interpretation. He goes, no, listen, if you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation, I'm going to kill you all. I mean, he's serious. Like, think about this. I understand we, like, we read back and we're like, oh yeah, that's an amazing story. Think about this. This king has a dream that he is so troubled about that he's willing to kill all of his wise men. This guy's troubled about a dream. Why? Because he knows the dream has something to do with his future, but he doesn't know what it is. And look at this. Then uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 26. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream of which I, and, which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men or conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known... He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in in the latter days. In other words, here again, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, it's the king of heaven who's talking to you. You just don't know what it means. This is so amazing to me. He says, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he's made known to the king, the king Nebuchadnezzar, what will take place in the latter days. This was the dream and the visions in your mind while you lay on your bed. Now listen to this. Listen to how the king got this. As for you, O king, while you were on your bed, your thoughts turned to what must take place in the future. Your thoughts turned. This is how you had the dream. You started thinking, I wonder what's going to happen in the future. And when you had that dream, the, the God of heaven started talking to you. How did you get the dream? You asked a question. You started saying, I wonder what the future is going to be. And God said, I think I'll tell you. And it says, as for you, O king, while you were on your bed, your thoughts turned to what will take place in the future. And he who reveals mystery has made known to you what will take place. He's like, he did? What's it mean? I'm just about to kill everybody. He goes, yeah, that's because you are so frustrated because you know God spoke to you, but you don't know what it means. And then he begins to say, as for the mystery, he talks about Revealing the mystery. I'm telling you, God, Pharaoh is dreaming. The world is dreaming. And it isn't the devil giving him dreams. It's the Lord. I'm telling you, all over the place, people are having dreams. They are so hungry. They are willing to do. They know their spirit is troubled. I just have this deep sense. The world 
I don't think, well, that's too strong. I know the world is troubled over, over the economy. I know that's true. But I think the Lord has troubled the world. I think the Lord is giving them dreams and mysteries into their future, and they don't know it. And I think the world is troubled, and I think the world is looking for someone to interpret their their dreams, their visions, their their divine moments with God. And they're seeking psychics, and they're doing what they know to do. I mean, I, I know the world is troubled. I know in one sense the world is evil. But there is something good in every single person because they're made in God's image. There's something, there's something, I don't know, this is true. There's something divine in every person that just draws them back to the Creator. They're looking for God in the wrong places. That's for sure. I'm not saying, you know, universalism. I don't believe any of that stuff. Everyone's safe. But I do believe that everybody has a propensity to God. Everybody. Everybody is looking for God. Some of them in the wrong places. We need to be done. Queen of Sheba sees what comes from... I mean, you know, she didn't get on a plane and ride in first class. She didn't even ride an economy. Queen of Sheba. Probably took her months to get to Solomon's place. Because she heard the wisdom of Solomon. And when she gets there, she sees the way his table set. His table set. I mean, how do you set a table? People go, must be God. <laughs> I mean, I've eaten food and go, that must be God. But I mean, just the table set. If I cook it and it's edible, it's God. <laughs> she saw the way he set his table, the way the waiters were dressed, the way he had this, you know, stairway to God's house. And she's like, wow, the half. Of your wisdom has not been told. I don't know what it's, but I'm saying that, that Solomon had a gift of wisdom from God, but it manifests in the natural. When people saw your good works, they see your good works, they glorify your Father who's in heaven. It's just rocks, doesn't it? Like wisdom, like we can have the gift of wisdom and it can manifest in this way. It can have that effect, this ministry, that, that conclusion. When, um, when Moses built the temple, God's, Given him, and this is in Exodus 31, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name, I think it's something like Bazel, something like that, from the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs in gold and silver and bronze. And he goes on, For the cutting of stones, for the carving of wood. And, and he goes, But he says, I put the Spirit of God on him, and I've given him wisdom. The gift of wisdom, but it's having a different effect. And what's the effect it's having through this guy? He can carve. And when he gets done carving, they go, that's God. That was created by the hands of man, but through the hand of God. That man carved in the name of God. I mean, he was like, he wasn't like, he didn't just go down to the, you know, San Francisco School of the Arts, which is totally fine. Awesome. Get trained. I mean, this guy was anointed by the Spirit of God to carve by wisdom. Did you get that? By wisdom. He had wisdom to carve. And what does it look like when you're, when you're a wise carver? Oh, I seriously don't know. But my point is this, is that there are ministries 
Let me understand. Same spirit, different ministry, different effect, different gift. You can have a gift. And when you, when you get it, you know what? You pray for the gifts of the spirit and you're like, I pray for the gift of wisdom. I'm like, awesome. And you come here and you see the gift of wisdom demonstrated. Oh, let's use the word of knowledge. It's much easier. You pray for the word of knowledge. And you see Bill moving in the word of knowledge or, or Eric or some of the team moving in the word of knowledge. You're like, oh, that's awesome. My, my struggle is you think that's the only effect. You think that's the only ministry. You think that's the only application. And then you go to your work and you work at the, you know, IT place over wherever, or you work at Burger King or you work whatever, and you're like, you think that the word of knowledge is just for healing. I'm like, no, no, you got a computer problem? Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you a word of knowledge for the computer. Pretty soon, well, what I'm getting at is carry the Holy Spirit where you go, and don't just heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Of course, do that. But do greater works than Jesus. He didn't work on computers. He didn't work on cars. He didn't do much in government. I mean, take the Holy Spirit gifts with you and listen and don't just listen. You can you can model the core values, but you, they're going to have different effects and different applications. And if you're a carver, ask for the wisdom of God and then carve with the wisdom of God. What's it going to look like? I don't know. I mean, if I can set a table in a way that astounds a queen, I mean, hello. What would you do if you did what you did? If you did something See, I think it's amazing when people do extraordinary things. But I think what's more amazing is when someone takes something ordinary and they add the extraordinary to it. And people go, I've seen that done 5,000 times and I've never seen it done like that before. And I just think the Holy Spirit wants to break out of this, you know, I don't want to say Bethel box or church box or religious box, but he wants to break out of, hey, this is the only way you ask, this is the only time, you see a sick person, you ask me for the, a word of knowledge. How about, how about you do it wherever you work? How about you take Holy Spirit with you like Daniel, like Joseph? How, what if you were supposed to, if maybe you're working at Burger King, you're flipping burgers and God wants you to talk to the CEO of Burger King and redirect all of his money towards Bethel Ministries. I mean, probably not, but you get the idea. I'm just saying, what if God has you there? You you think you were imprisoned at Burger King, and God's like, I got you right where I want you. All I need you to do is act supernaturally natural while you're here. Not just when you're in a special, whoa, moment, the music's just right. Why don't you just... Just bring me with you wherever you go. Instead of, just practice the present. You know, I love worship. I want to tell you, I love worship. I was born in worship. I was with, in this, with this man 33. I was born in worship. I love worship. But worship doesn't happen when the music starts. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. You know what would be amazing? Is if you could have the same sense of God's presence when there's when no one's around and when you're at work as you have at some of the high moments when our worship teams lead us into the, in other words you don't even need a team to lead you in you just go hey i'm here son at the door uh co-rainer right here and i don't want to downplay this cuz this is really important you you would know that but i'm saying i i i want to play up this like you have Holy Spirit wherever you go. You have God wherever you go. You just need to release Him. You just need to start thinking, I can fix cars with this. I can fix nations with this. I don't, I don't just fix people. I fix governments. I fix societies. I fix computers with this. I fix my kids with this. I work on my husband with this. 
And you start having different effects with the same gift. Yeah. You listen to what I'm saying, woman. Be silent. And be taught. That was a joke for those of you watching by Apple TV. I was being funny with my wife. I'm trying to be funny with my wife. Sweat broke out on me just a second ago as I was thinking about where I may be sleeping. Why don't you stand up? I don't know what I'm going to do. This the download's coming. <laughs> Network disconnected. time to turn the world upside down. I mean lovers, not haters. We're not haters. I'm so sick of being defined by what I'm against. Just, I'm anxious to be for something. Eager. I'm eager to love. Eber. <laughs> That's a word that means... <laughs> um, nothing. <laughs> It's the ancient Hebrew word. I'm eager to serve Nebuchadnezzar and love him into the kingdom. I am seriously am. I'm, I, I, I want to get into those places where people like are cursing them. Christians don't like them. And I want to just like them. I want to like them. I want to become friends with sinners. Big sinners. Ones that kill people. <laughs> I think I want to be. I, mean, I don't know any of those people right now, but there might be reasons why people don't like them. Anyway, <laughs> I want to pray for you. I'm going to, I, I'm, I'm going to pray that the Lord gives you intelligence. It's going to be so awesome hanging around with smart people. And I'm not going to say anything else about that. And wisdom and knowledge and the ability to understand dreams and visions. Start moving in high SQ. People are like, where'd you get that? Where, what university went, did you go to? Well, I went to Holy Spirit's training me. So I have a personal trainer, spirit guide. The spirit guide guided me into all truth. He knows all things. He knows all things he's heard from the Father. He knows mysteries about biology, chemistry. He knows it all. He knows more than your name and where you've been. He knows where you're going. I'm a futurist. I know the future. In fact, if you're nice to me, I'll cause the future. You got any dry bones in your life? You make a mighty army out of that. Yep, because my words become worlds. So, you know, you want to be my friend. You want to like me. Yeah, you don't want to mess with me because you know who I work for. Secret Service knows mysteries and riddles. 
Holy Spirit, we just release right now wisdom, understanding, discernment, prophecy, intelligence. The ability to interpret visions and dreams. And the ability to be nice to people who don't deserve it. That we would love people who you love, but the world doesn't love. You said, if you love people who just love you, how are you any different than the world? They love people who love them. So I release supernatural love. I mean the kind of love where we wouldn't love the guy, but we do. Because you're in us. And Holy Spirit, I just release right now different effects. We would start to have effect on the world. (laughs) That the gifts would take on different manifestations in every dimension of life. I'm right about that. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would just move multidimensionally in people right now. Take off the boundaries of our experience. Take off the boundaries of even our teaching. Take off the boundaries of religious blinders. And Holy Spirit, you've been forever wanting to have a people who would move freely in every realm of society and affect the world for the common good. We just release that over us. Let dreamers start to dream. I pray that old men would start to dream. People who used to be sped up and cynical. Lord, I pray that people that have not had an easy life would suddenly begin to dream. I just release that over everyone right now. I pray for our city managers. I pray for our city city government. I pray for our our state government, our our national governments. And those of you for other nations, we pray for for our nations that our, our pharaohs would begin to dream. That we would get invited into the highest places because we understand mysteries and riddles. And we have wisdom and understanding. Release that to us. Just, just, just put your hands just out in front of you. Just, just begin to say, I mean, you don't even have to say it out loud, but I receive that for myself. I just receive that for myself. Just begin to envision what it would look like for you to take the gifts of the Spirit and apply them to what you do every day. Just, just for a minute. We're going to be done. Just a minute. Just take, just look at right now. What, how could you do what you do every day supernaturally? What would it look like for God to move through what you're naturally doing supernaturally? Just catch a vision for it. Just, just a minute. Just catch a vision for it. Thank you, Lord. I feel like the Lord is releasing inventors, inventions, innovations. I I don't um, exactly know what this means, but I just heard the Holy Spirit say that he's going to create inventions that are 
that defy the laws of physics and specifically the law of gravity. It's going to be like an anti-gravity device. I don't know what it's going to, what it's about, but um, I, I just, I'm hearing all this stuff about no friction. That it's going to, it's going to, uh, I don't know what it's, what it is, but it's going to change the way we travel. And Lord, I just, I just release that. Maybe it's so, someone on iBethel TV. Maybe there's, but whatever, Lord, I just release inventions and innovations that break all the boundaries of the known world right now. Lord, we just release that to people in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just stay in this mode for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Just be, just, just keep envisioning. Walt Disney used to call his this guy's visioneers. Lord, we just release that over people. Your people would be visioneers.